the world of 911 emergency dispatching is brutally diverse. One minute you can be talking with someone about parking violations. Uh, what's the process we are to take to have people towed? Because it's actually delaying the mail. And then all hell can break loose. Then the rest of the day is crazy. We could have murders. Hill County 911, what's your emergency? I just killed my children. Home invasions. He's in my house. He's in my house. I shot him. You shot him? He was coming up towards me and I shot him. Natural disasters. Tornado came through the bottom. I'm there. I'm going to be to roll my Even bombings. My show, Music City 911, will put you in the dispatcher's chair, put you ear to ear with the callers and responders, and keep you on edge from start to finish. I hope to both educate and entertain, as I'm a 911 dispatcher with over 20 years' experience. And just like dispatching, every episode is different from the last. Music City 911. Real 911 calls, real 911 dispatchers. Available to listen to on any podcast app. I'm LaDonna Humphrey. And I'm Alicia Lockhart. Welcome to Deep Dark Secrets. Today, we're going to be covering another murder case connected to the death fetish community. It's the murder of 17-year-old Georgia Williams from 2013 by a fetisher named Jamie Reynolds. This one makes me sad. She was 17 years old. Yeah, she was so young. Georgia Williams was a beautiful redheaded girl. We'll make sure to post some pictures of her in our Patreon. She had so much life ahead of her and some really big dreams and big plans. She was going to join the Air Force. She was already making something of herself. She was a corporal in the RAF Air Cadets. She had become head girl at her school. She was acting as a student mentor. She really liked to help out other students at her high school. And people just had all sorts of good things to say about her. They would describe her as intelligent, popular, beautiful. She loved outdoor activities and she loved to spend time with her family. She had a really good relationship with her parents and her siblings. She just had a lot of love and support around her and a whole life ahead of her. And a lot of friends, too. And one of those friends was a guy, a fetisher guy, a guy named Jamie Reynolds. He was just a few years older than her. He was 22. And he lived in her neighborhood. He was really close. Jamie and Georgia had been friends for a little while, and they liked to spend time together. And they were known to text each other frequently. And Jamie Reynolds had admitted that he had romantic feelings for Georgia, but Georgia had turned him down politely numerous times. And then one of the last text messages that she had written to him had said, 
I just don't see you that way. Just stop. I don't want to ruin our friendship. And I told you last time, I just want to be friends. That's a recipe for disaster, I'm afraid. Yeah. Shortly after this message, Georgia had found herself a boyfriend. She started dating a guy named Matthew Bird. And Jamie Reynolds knew about this. So I think that Georgia probably was like, okay, I have a boyfriend now. You know, Jamie will probably stop making advances. Oh, gosh. Thinking about that and just knowing what we know about fetishers. And I'm automatically thinking of all the things that he could be saying or doing in his mind or online or what he's writing down in a notebook. I'm starting to get anxious. That's just (laughs) sad. Georgia had no idea what was really going on in the mind of Jamie Reynolds or even that there were some disturbing events in his past. You're absolutely right. And she had no idea that Jamie Reynolds was a death fetisher through and through. In January of 2008, five years before Jamie Reynolds murdered Georgia Williams, the rest of the world would have thought that Jamie was a typical 17-year-old boy. And like a typical 17-year-old boy, He invited another 17-year-old to come over when his parents weren't home. This friend just happened to also be a beautiful redhead. Jamie, we know, has this thing for redheads, and Jamie had asked this girl to come over to help him with a media project, and she agreed to. And when I hear media project, I start getting knots in my stomach. Alicia, do you? Just, I'm thinking, oh, what, what has this fetisher got planned? Yes, fetisher plus media project means death fetish pornography. That's exactly what I was thinking. So when she arrives at his house, she realizes that she and Jamie are alone, and this automatically makes her feel pretty uneasy. And Jamie invites her to go upstairs, which that makes her feel even more uncomfortable. And he says, let's go upstairs. We can start taking photos up there. She refuses. She says, no, absolutely not. So he kind of gives up on that idea, and then he asks her to come into the kitchen. But she refuses that, too. I mean, she is concerned. Her red flag meter is going off. She knows that something is wrong. And Jamie starts to get upset. He's upset that things aren't going as planned, and he goes from upset to angry. He gets so angry that he attacks the young girl. What? Yeah, he grabs her around the neck, and he tries to strangle her. But thank God she was a fighter. And she basically kicked his ass almost in the struggle and was able to, you know, to break free from his grip. And she fled his house. She took off. Jamie, I can just imagine what, what that was like for him because he realizes his plans are foiled, so to speak. And she takes off. So he's got to figure out what he's going to do next. So what he does next is he apologizes immediately. He tells her that he's been in counseling for his violent behavior and that this was a relapse. And Jamie was hoping that he could de-escalate the situation, but it didn't work. And he was just very sorry that it didn't work. But this girl wasn't buying it. She calls the police and Jamie was arrested. Awesome. This should have been the end of this story. Well, I know, but unfortunately it's not. It actually gets a little bit worse. Law enforcement interviewed Jamie about this incident, and they discovered that he lied. He'd never been in any sort of counseling for his behavior. That was just some sort of tactic he was using to try to get out of trouble with this girl. Yeah, he didn't want her to call the police. He was going to tell her anything he had to to get her to be quiet. Yeah, he was a smooth-talking fetisher. 
And this incident was really disturbing to everybody, as you can imagine. But it was also very disturbing and concerning to Jamie's parents. His stepfather at the time ended up finding some printed images in Jamie's bedroom, and these images were of death fetish pornography. And he had downloaded these images from various death fetish forums and death fetish production companies. So it's kind of like what we've said in other episodes, too. This stuff is easily accessible just through a Google search. And there's no indication that he had gone into the dark web, deep web. He got this just from typing in. I can almost imagine some of the studios. I think of John Marshall Washburn studio immediately. Yeah, you just type in some creepy search terms like strangled women or necrophilia and or necro porn, morgue porn, you're going to find these videos. And he was a 17-year-old finding these videos. So that is alarming. It's very scary. And what's worse is these photos depicted women being strangled or suffocated to death. And there were also some photographs of women that Jamie didn't even know, but he had taken these photos and added ropes and nooses so that these women looked like they'd been hung and that they had died. So they're very graphic and awful. And I just want to note that those types of images are rampant in the death fetish community. And those are called manips. And that's short for manipulation. And people in the death fetish forums love to make manips for each other. Why? I think it's because they see a photo of a pretty girl and they think this would be so sexy if this particular girl were arrowed, stabbed, shot, hung, strangled. So, you know, they're seeing pictures of women and they are thinking about how they would like to murder them. Yeah, they're probably like picking up the Sports Illustrated magazines. You know, they've got the swimsuit edition and they're like, oh, if only she were being stabbed, then she would look beautiful. And nobody is off limit. You know, recently in a forum, they were talking about celebrities, one being Taylor Swift. I've also seen some of the Kardashian women in the death fetish forum um, under the manipulations category. So, yeah, they're going to just take a woman that they find beautiful and they want to physically harm her and have photographic evidence of that. Absolutely frightening. Also horrible to think that there are even people as young as Jamie that are involved in this. But he was doing that and his parents found out. And at this point, the police are involved and they give him this very stern talking to. And he was court ordered to start attending counseling sessions. This time, (laughs) he was really supposed to go because they know that there's a problem. And despite that intervention, because we've talked about that too, you know, just what would it be like if there could be intervention for the fetishers? And in this case, somebody did step in and say, hey, this is not normal. So even despite that, though, Jamie continued to access death fetish porn websites. He just, he couldn't stay away from them. When I hear this situation, I'm like, okay, so you have a 17-year-old boy who has been accessing extreme pornography, death fetish pornography, and he's tried to strangle somebody in our home. I wonder, you know, it's not to say that they didn't, but I'm just curious what they were doing in their house to try to prevent him from accessing that pornography again. I wonder if They did their best. He was still getting it somehow. Well, you know, I have seven children and two of them are sons. And I can tell you right now that I would be yanking out 
computers, internet access in their rooms, anywhere that they could go where they, they would be able to access it privately. And if that didn't work, then we wouldn't have the internet at our home. And I know that that would be a pain in the butt for our family, but I have an obligation to my children, to my family, and to the community to do everything that I can to try to get that kiddo some help. I'm not saying that this family didn't do that. I, I actually don't mean that at all. I just know what I would do. And for all we know, they did everything that they could, but he was going to continue on with this death fetish no matter what. And I almost believe that that's probably pretty close to being the case because we actually read about those type of things in the forums quite a bit where they talk about, hey, this is the age that my death fetish started and here's the ways that I did A, B, and C to access that information no matter what. So I think that that Jamie was on a path that he was hell-bent on. Yeah, it's a strong addiction, so he could have very well been accessing those sites despite his parents' best efforts. But I just found that interesting that he was going to counseling and didn't stop him from going down this path. And so two years later, we check back in, and it's 2010. So we've got a 19-year-old, Jamie Reynolds, And Jamie had started to fixate on another young, redheaded girl. He had made it known that he had romantic feelings for her. He'd made some advances. And this girl, she happened to reject him. But Jamie continued to persevere. He kept texting this girl, calling this girl, even though she had said she wasn't interested. And one day, this girl was parking her car. And she noticed that Jamie Reynolds was there in the parking lot. And when I learned about this, LaDonna, I got crazy, crazy full body chills. I was just like, why are murderers always hanging out in parking lots lurking around? It definitely reminded me of Melissa Witt. That's exactly what I was going to say. In dozens of other cases we've read about, I don't know. That does give me the creeps. Yeah, I guess stalkers are just going to stalk and it's convenient to kind of camp out in a parking lot, stake out where somebody is. But anyways, this girl that we can't name, she sees Jamie in the parking lot and she's big mad. She gets out of her car. I love this. I, she's, I just picture this feisty redhead. She gets out of her car and she confronts him and she tells him straight to his face that he needs to stop bothering her. And that he needs to leave her alone. And Jamie just comes unhinged. He's still in his car at this point. So he winds up backing up his car at high speed and directing it towards her parked car. And he slams into her car with his car. Oh, my gosh. So he's got a temper. And he goes straight home. And we know this from the evidence that was collected eventually, but he goes home that day and he writes a story about murdering this girl. And he saves a photograph of her on his computer and he makes a manipulated photograph of her with a rope around her neck. So she angered him and he went straight home and started fantasizing about killing her. Oh my gosh, this guy, Jamie, is dangerous. Yeah, this is so scary because he banged up her car and people knew about that, but nobody knew that he had gone home and gone to those lengths to sit down and write a story and change some images about her to make it look like she had died by hanging. 
But now that we can see all of that evidence out, it's chilling to hear about. And I think that that girl is very lucky to be alive. Yeah, she absolutely is. As you're telling the story, I think about his age, too, just being so young, just a teenager. And shame on the owners of those forums who are old, fetisher men who have no mechanism in place to even check somebody's age other than a checkbox. Yes, I am 18 years old. I mean, I know at this point he was 19, but he started this when he was 17. And I just think it's terrible that he's even able to feed his mind with such horrific thoughts and images. It's crazy that he had started that young and that there are so many people on these forums that are older that are like, this is fine. We've been doing this our whole lives. Everyone's good here. Nothing dangerous. But getting back to Jamie's timeline, we're going to fast forward to January 27th, 2013. Jamie Reynolds is now 22 years old. And he pulled out his phone and started writing a new story. And the new story is called Georgia Williams in Surprise. The story is about Georgia Williams coming over to his house with her hair up in a ponytail, wearing red lipstick. And in this story that he writes, he describes how he wants to tie Georgia up and blindfold her. And he describes in very pornographic terms what he's going to do to her body while he has her tied up. And then he describes himself taking Georgia upstairs in his house and having her stand on a box. And he describes how he's going to slip a noose around her neck and how he's going to tighten the noose and demand that she dance for him. And he describes that at that point, after she dances, that he would sexually assault her. And he admits in this story that he likes his girls dead. And he goes on to say that he's going to watch Georgia slowly die from strangulation. And he goes on to describe in great detail what it would be like, what it would feel like to have sex with Georgia's dead body. That is absolutely horrific. It leaves me speechless. This is a 22-year-old boy writing about his friend, Georgia Williams, and she has no idea that he is thinking things like this about her. Oh my God. You're, you're seeing the story from this point now and you just wish you could jump in somehow and, and warn her just how much danger she's in. I wish that we could have, or, you know, that somebody would have put together the pieces here because to me, there's been multiple things happening here that indicate that this kid needs help. A serious help, but it doesn't get any better, Alicia. We're going to fast forward right now to February 2013. Jamie invites, and I bet you can guess, another redhead to his house because his parents are out of town. So this redhead comes to his house to hang out with him, and everything seems normal at first. They're doing okay until she wants to go home. You know, it's about midnight, it's gotten late, and she just, she wants to go. It's time to go. So she lets him know that she's got to go. I assume maybe she even has a curfew, but she's tired. She wants to go home, and she heads for the door. 
But when she turns the knob, Alicia, she realizes, uh-oh, the door is locked. She can't open it for herself, so she asks Jamie for help, and he says he can't unlock it either. Oh, that's creepy. Exactly. He says, well, it needs a key, and he doesn't have the key. So instead of trying to find the key right then, he suggests, why don't you just stay the night? You know, he jumps to, look, just stay here with me. And she says, no, I'm not going to do that. And she starts to feel really scared. She feels trapped. So at this point, Jamie kind of makes it a game and he starts to pretend to look for the keys. But the girl seems to know that he's faking. Something sinister is happening and she's starting to panic. And she knows that she needs to get out of there. Right. I don't know why, but I can place myself in that moment, like jingling the door and looking up and being like, you know, what's going on? Can I get out of here? Can you imagine having a guy say, maybe you should just stay the night? I don't know where the key is. Oh, no. It makes my heart start to race. I start to panic. She knew at that point that he was purposely not letting her out. Yes. I think she knew then she was in trouble. and. So she starts to scream and cry. She's hysterical. She wants out of there. And thank God, thank God, she has the fortitude to just say this. And she climbs out a window and runs home. I'm cheering for her. I think I would have picked up a chair and bust out a window. I'm just I'm glad. actually so surprised that she was able to get out the window. I feel like he's a dangerous enough person that he would have grabbed her. I'm glad he didn't, but, you know, she got the hell out of there. She runs home, and and kind of like before, for the next four weeks after that, Jamie keeps sending these text messages to this girl, and he's apologizing profusely for the incident, and he tells her he was just joking. It was just a joke. Right, right. It's just fantasy that I, I wanted to talk you into staying the night. He's just got excuse after excuse after excuse, and Jamie, at the same time, he was apologizing to her. He had also saved photos of this young girl as well. Okay. And he had added nooses to her neck area of the photo. So he had made manips of her too. And he had titled her photograph hanging and then, you know, insert her name. We're not going to give that name right now. So if it was me, it would have been hanging LaDonna. I mean, it's just really creepy and awful. And he also wrote, death erotica he wrote this story about her on april 26 2013 he's still obsessing about that and that was two months after she had escaped so this death erotica that he had written about her was entitled taxi strangler wonder what that's about the taxi part of it i'm afraid to ask (laughs) you know i don't know I, i i'm just afraid of what was going on in jamie's brain and so this incident was only three months before Jamie murdered Georgia Williams. And the story writing was only a few weeks before he murdered her. So can you see the escalation process here? Yeah, and if you go back in his history, he's already tried at least once before to keep a girl at his house. And so it scares me because it's like he's tried twice now, and obviously he's just not going to stop. He just doesn't let it go. So by May 2nd, 2013, Jamie's revisiting a story he had written about Georgia, and he had titled it Georgia Williams in Surprise. And 
he revises it a few times. You know, he makes it more graphic and more detailed. He's just obsessed with it. And he finishes the story by writing about himself standing over her dead body and saying to her corpse, that was a quality show, babe. Gross. So he's like, finished this story up on May 2nd. So on May 26th, of 2013, it was a Sunday. Jamie Reynolds had gone to work. At the time, he was working as a gas station attendant and he got off work at 4 15 p.m. in Wellington. His co workers would later say that he was in good spirits that day and he went ahead and went out for a drink after work and he returned to his home. And it just so happened that Jamie was going to be home alone for a few days because he lived with his parents, but they had taken a trip without him. So Jamie comes home after having a drink, and he goes ahead and makes a hanging mechanism from a red rope. He loops it over an oar, and he places it in the loft, and he takes a picture of this hanging mechanism that he's just made, and he saves a photo of it on his computer. I have the chills right now for two reasons. One, that he made this mechanism. But two, I'm stuck on the fact that you said he was in good spirits because we have heard that about so many fetishers as they're making their final preparations for an actual murder. I literally have full body chills right now. Well, it also just goes to show that he wasn't in a psychotic episode. He wasn't in a depressive episode. He was having a great day, and he knew what he was going to do later that night in the house that he had to himself for the weekend. Or I guess it was a Sunday, so it would have been spilling out into the week. But he knew he was going to have some time alone at home. So he makes this hanging mechanism, photographs it. He's proud of it. And then he starts texting multiple women that he knows, inviting them to come over and model for him in a photo shoot. So he's just kind of throwing it out there to see what'll stick. Who might take the bait then? Yeah, he's texted several different people. One of the people he texted was Georgia Williams, his 17-year-old friend. And it looks like from the text logs that he was being a bit more persistent in his messages with Georgia. He was really pushing her and hoping that she would come over. He wanted Georgia to be the person in this photo shoot with the hanging mechanism. And he expressed this to her. He told her that he really needed a model for a simulated hanging photo shoot. And he used the word artistic. And he also described this photo shoot as a fake hanging. And he reassured her that this would be totally safe. And this gives me full body chills because these terms are so similar to what we read on the death fetish forums. This is just fantasy. It's just fake. It's artistic. It's mind blowing. I say this, I think every episode, but I think every episode I get my mind blown that people think that this is normal and okay and that they would even attempt to get others to participate in this kind of activity. It's just, it's really scary. It is scary, but I guess he was convincing because Georgia agreed to model for him. And she said, okay, I'm going to come over then. So Jamie wrote back and let her know that he would like her to wear red lipstick 
and put her hair in a ponytail. Oh, God. Yeah, that's exactly what he had written in that story about her. So he's clearly getting ready to act out that fantasy story that he wrote. You know, the one that's just fancy. Oh, my God. So between 6.15 and 6.31 p.m., Jamie is at home. He's waiting for Georgia Williams to arrive at his house. And during this time, we know from records of his computer that he went ahead and accessed his collection of death fetish pornography at this time. He just getting warmed up? I mean, I'm not trying to make a joke. I mean, like, what's he doing? He's waiting for her to get there. And he goes ahead and stimulates himself during that time. He does admit that that's what he was doing. And at this time, Jamie is 22 years old. So he's had several years on these death fetish forums. And he has amassed a collection of 72 pornographic death fetish videos and 16,800 still images of death fetish pornography that he has saved on his computer. That's astronomical. Yeah, he's got like a whole hard drive just of that. Oh, my God. And the content that he had been downloading was of women being strangled with their hands tied behind their backs and women being hung from beams. That's, you know, a theme that we see frequently in these forums, too. I was just doing some undercover work last week and came across some stories like that and actually some manips. I feel pretty comfortable saying the strangulation content is the most popular death fetish content. It's the most frequently ordered. The producer that we interviewed, he confirmed that for us, that that was the majority of what he made because that's the majority of what people were requesting him to make. But in addition to these videos, some of the videos that Jamie had in his collection depicted men having sex with strangled women's dead bodies after they had killed them in the films. So just horrible stuff. And Jamie's watching these videos waiting for Georgia Williams to arrive at his house for a hanging photo shoot. Georgia Williams, at the same time, has started to walk from her parents' home over to Jamie's home. And when she left, she let her parents know that she was going to Jamie's house to model for a photo shoot. And her family knew him. So they weren't concerned. That seemed normal that she would go hang out with her friend Jamie. And Jamie had purchased some clothing that he wanted Georgia to wear in this photo shoot. He had purchased a black leather jacket and some shorts. And so while he's waiting for Georgia to get there, he actually takes some video footage of himself ejaculating onto the clothing. Why? Do we know why? No, there's no explanation as to why. But he he goes ahead and finishes up kind of wipes the clothing up, and she arrives at his house at 7.55 p.m., and he hands her these clothes that he's just ejaculated on. But I guess she didn't notice. She went ahead and changed into the outfit, and she was completely unaware of what he had done or really what was about to happen to her. She, at his request, put, put her hair up into a ponytail. She put the red lipstick on that he wanted to see on her, And Jamie starts taking some pictures. So Georgia, she's smiling in the hallway. And she's smiling in the kitchen. And then the next photos show Georgia upstairs. She's in the loft. And she's stepping onto a box. And she allows Jamie to photograph her 
putting this red rope around her neck. And then in the next photo, Georgia's hands are tied behind her back and the rope is around her neck. And we sort of assume that Jamie used either handcuffs or cable ties to put her hands behind her back because he had purchased both of those things right before this. Georgia, she's tied up, but she's still smiling in the photos at this point. You can tell that she doesn't know what's going to happen. She trusts him completely. He's a friend of hers. Just place yourself in that moment. She thinks this is all in good fun. I just, I'm just sick. And this could be any model. Any model that signs up to do death fetish pornography is going to have this experience too. And I think it's important to note that this is 30 minutes into the experience. It seems fine. It seems like it's just a fantasy. But something changes there between 8.28 p.m. and 8.50 p.m. We can see timestamps on the photographs. And this is the time where Jamie starts pulling at the loose end of the red rope, and he raises Georgia up on her tiptoes. And she's no longer in control of what's happening to her anymore. And you can see that in the photos. Jamie ties this rope to the banister, and he continues to document what he's doing. And at this point, Georgia's blood supply to the brain would have been compromised for sure, but even this is not fatal if he had just taken pictures of this part of it. But Jamie went ahead and applied further pressure. He tightened the rope by putting his knee into Georgia's back, and he pulled downwards on the rope, and he kicked away the box that Georgia had been standing on, and he watched her die like this. I'm just, I'm heartbroken by this for her family and for her and the terror that she must have felt. And I I wish I could tell you that suddenly the police swooped in and, and somehow she was rescued, but that's not what happened. He did kill her. And in the two hours following her murder, Jamie did the unthinkable and he engaged in sexual activity with her dead body. And not only that, he filmed himself doing it in different rooms of the house including the kitchen and even on his parents' bed. Disgusting. He would drag George's limp body throughout the house, and as he would move her from room to room, he would remove more of her clothing, until eventually they're both nude in these photographs. Jamie goes on to meticulously document through these photos and video the sexual assault to her corpse. And later, it's been reported that semen was found in her mouth, her vagina, and in her anus. That right. is so disgusting. I, it's hard to even know what to say about that. I can't believe that he would do those things to his friend. My heart is so heavy for her family. And after he finishes this, he picks up her cell phone and he sends a message to her mother. And he says, I ended up going out. Don't know when I'll be back. And then he sent another one that said, my phone's about to die. So he's pretending to be Georgia. He then goes back to get Georgia's body and he puts it into the back of his stepfather's van. And then the next morning, he packs up his external hard drive, a sleeping bag and a tent. And he just drives away in the van. 
And he ends up stopping at a rest stop in North Wales. And that's where he threw a bag away that had the rope, um, clothing, and handcuffs in it. So he's trying to destroy evidence along the way. Mm -hmm. So he throws that stuff away. And then, believe it or not, he makes another stop. This time he goes to watch a movie. What? Yes. He's in the town of Wrexham and he watches a movie. So when the movie's over, he gets back in the van and he drives to an isolated wooded area that's not very far away. And the van gets stuck. So he removes George's body from the van and he drags her into the trees. He sees the tree line and that's where he heads for so he can help hide her body. He leaves her nude body in a stream. And according to court documents, it's really sad. It's just so sad what we learned. It was that there was some degree of dismemberment to her body. So he had also done that as well. Wow. George's underwear, her jewelry, and her mobile phone were never recovered. And law enforcement actually believed that Jamie most likely kept those items as trophies. And to make matters worse, he continues to pretend to be Georgia to help cover up the crime. So on the morning that he dumps her body, he responds to this text from Georgia's mother, and he assures her that, I'm I'm with friends, I'm fine, I'm going to see you this evening, Mom. You know, he's just stringing this poor mom along, who as a mom myself, I imagine she's distraught receiving text messages that don't seem like they're from her. And on Tuesday, May 28th, two days after Georgia went to Jamie's house, her family has had enough and they call the police to report her missing. So after they call the police, an alert is put out for Jamie Reynolds because he hadn't returned home either. You know, he's out destroying evidence, going to movies and dumping a body. That's what he's doing. And the police enter his home and they find something pretty suspicious. So they've got IT equipment and things that are concerning that they uncover. And eventually they're able to track him to the Premier Inn Hotel in Glasgow. So they find him there, they pick him up, and when they interview him, Jamie denies any knowledge of George's whereabouts. You know, I don't know what happened. And police push back. They let him know that they had some evidence against him. And Jamie then replied that he had memory loss. Sometimes he would just lose his memory and he had no recollection of the time he spent with Georgia. Oh, that's convenient. Very, right? And then three days later on Friday, George's remains were discovered by someone who was walking in the area of the stream where he had placed her body. Sadly, there was some insect and animal activity to the body. So the family had that to contend with when the body was recovered. I mean, just a horrific, gruesome scene. And after her body had been found, the police asked Jamie if he was going to accept responsibility for her death. And he said, and I quote, even though I don't remember it, it certainly does look that way, you know, meaning that I killed her. I hate myself for it. I never wanted to hurt her. That's such a, like, tricksy admission. Well, I guess I'll take responsibility for this murder. I really don't remember it, though. That makes me angry. 
we know that that's just because he'd been writing about this murder and he had her act out exactly what he had written. I mean, this was premeditated. For sure. And the police, they weren't stupid. They did not believe him and the excuses he was giving. And the evidence that they found definitely did suggest that this was carefully planned, premeditated, sadistic, and also a sexually motivated murder. So in addition to the thousands of saved death fetish pornographies that Jamie had, the police also found a collection of altered photographs of manipulations of eight different women that Jamie knew personally. Oh, when you said that, you know what immediately comes to my mind? What? The cannibal cop. Oh, yes, yes. So here's another one. Here's another fetisher who is taking inspiration from people in their lives, fantasizing about making victims out of people they know. So creepy. So he'd made these images of these eight women that he knew because he wanted to see what they would look like if they were hung or strangled to death. And he had also written 40 total stories, like the one that he had written about Georgia. And a lot of them were about women that he knew in real life. That doesn't sound like fantasy to me, does it to you? No. And so during his sentencing, the judge has said there can be no doubt that a material factor in the criminality that led to this sadistic murder of Georgia Williams and the degradation inflicted on her body was the ready accessibility of this extreme pornography. I just want to applaud this judge. This is what we have said all along. He's right. If he didn't have access to such extreme pornography that continued to push him towards these desires, I think that quite possibly we might have seen a different outcome. I think so too. And Professor Pickett, who is a professional that was retained by the Crown, had some things to say too. Professor Pickett said that although Jamie had no symptoms of psychosis during this time, that Jamie posed a grave risk to women and would continue to do so for the rest of his life. And Professor Pickett felt pretty confident saying that after seeing the level of engagement that Jamie Reynolds had with death fetish pornography. We've got more evidence to put in our arsenal, so to speak, of other professionals willing to stand up and say, death fetish is dangerous, and here's why. The fetishers will have you believe that this is some kind of personal crusade of Alicia and LaDonna, but there are other people in this world that feel passionately about how wrong and how influential, how dangerous it is. And so on December 19th, 2013, Jamie Reynolds was sentenced to life imprisonment with a whole life order. And I'm so thankful that they gave the harshest sentence that they could have given him because they do not want him out in the world where women are. Because they know that this fantasy life that he was living and this obsession for death, he's going to act on. And this is exactly what we've been trying to say all along. I'm just, I'm so sad for George's family that this had to happen to her. And I just feel very strongly that we have to continue forging ahead to do something about death fetish. Because the longer that this content is here, 
the more chance that it's going to reach somebody like Jamie Reynolds, who is going to take it and run with it. It's not okay to have this kind of content on the internet influencing young men. Well, it's not harmless. The fetishers will let you believe that it's harmless. They're going to tell you that it's harmless. They're going to try to convince you and themselves that it's harmless. But we can give you proof to the contrary, episode after episode after episode, where we discuss real-life murders that have been born out of death fetish. It's not harmless. It's not, and we'll continue to stand and fight against it, and we'll keep slinging out these episodes about the cases we find. If we had gotten into this research and we couldn't find any cases, we wouldn't be here. Exactly. Yet another judge has really made some of the statements that we've built our platform on. This is dangerous stuff, and it leads to really bad things, and there's nothing, nothing good that comes from this. Nothing. I agree, and I think it it speaks volumes that the judges are making this connection that these death fetish forums and websites and pornography definitely has something to do with these murders. They they can see the escalation process of them logging into these sites more and collecting these videos more and how that affected their actions out in the real world. Yeah, it's heartbreaking. I think this case is going to stick with me for a while. It's difficult to hear about and I just, I can't help but, I mean, my mind goes back to her just thinking that this was her friend, that she wanted to help her friend with an art project. So sad. Yeah, it really is. I mean, her entire life was stolen away. And it doesn't just ruin her life. It really kind of gives a life sentence to her family, too. I mean, think about it. They have to live the rest of their lives knowing that this dear family member was murdered by a fetisher. And I can't even begin to imagine the kind of anguish that they feel. Yeah, it's definitely taken a toll on their family. And I did reach out to them just to see if they had anything that they wanted us to include in the episode or anything they wanted to say on their own. But they're just trying to keep their lives private and move forward from this tragedy. I hope that they can. And I I hope that if they're listening today or someone tells them about this episode, that they know that we are going to continue to fight against death fetish. And as we do, I can promise you this. We will carry Georgia Williams' memory with us as we do everything we can to put a stop to this evil and depraved community. I mean, this case has just touched me. And I hope that our listeners will link arms with us, work with us. Let's put a stop to death fetish. Thank you so much for listening, everyone, today. We appreciate you. Special thanks to our listeners who have been subscribing to our Patreon and to Anchor. Your support means the world to us. We can't do it without you. Your support helps us be able to keep focusing on making content for you to listen to. And we hope you'll join us next week for more secrets of the death fetish community. And as always, if you have a deep, dark secret that you'd like to expose about your community, go ahead and send us an email at deepdarksecretspodcast at gmail.com. And just remember to keep shining and keep being a light in your own communities. Stay safe and keep your lights on. For exclusive content from this episode and all other episodes, head on over to our Patreon, patreon.com backslash deep dark secrets. Sign up and you'll be able to see 
some visuals that accompany each episode.